However much men are chided by their wives for deceiving them, this seems to have little effect on their behavior, for they are constantly on the alert for a chance to approach a potential wife or to carry on an affair with a yakuwaki, young girl, who has passed through the rites of puberty. Holmberg notes that one Siriono man who was an unsuccessful hunter, quote, had lost at least one wife to better men. His status was low, his anxiety about hunting high, unquote. Although he attempted to compensate for his inability to hunt by planting more crops and collecting more forest products than anyone else, and trading vegetables for meat. Holmberg began to go hunting with this man and to give him game, which the other Siriono were told the man had shot. And eventually Holmberg taught him to use a shotgun to kill his own game. By the time Holmberg left this man, quote, was enjoying the highest status, had acquired several new sex partners, and was insulting others instead of being insulted by them." Unquote. Woodburn, 1968, notes that among the Hadza of Tanzania, a man, quote, may find it more difficult to marry a wife or once married to keep a wife if he is unsuccessful in hunting big game. Unquote. In his description of the Guayaki of southern Paraguay, Clastris records a conversation with an old man about a time 50 years in the past. Quote, Quand honest de tres grande chasio alors en piot avir beaucoup de femes et les nourrir totes. Unquote. When one is one of the great hunters, then one can have many women, probably as wives, and feed them all. Among the Mehinaku of central Brazil, men engaging in extramarital sex, quote, are expected to provide their mistresses with regular gifts of food, unquote, which invariably include meat. Siskind reports that Sharanahua, women of eastern Peru, goad men to hunt and reward successful hunters with sex. She writes that the prestige of hunting is not a vague goal. Hunting, quote, brings a definite reward, the possibility of gaining women as lovers and or wives. It is a common feature that the Sharanawa share with all tropical forest hunters. The successful hunter is usually the winner in the competition of four women. On the basis of an 18-month study of a Siono Sequoia village in eastern Ecuador, Vickers disputes Siskin's claim that in tropical environments, hunting prowess is universally rewarded with sexual favors, while a single negative instance is, of course, largely irrelevant 
to evolutionary considerations. Vickers's argument raises some interesting issues. The Siona Sequoia Vickers studied had recently moved from a village where game was scarce to a new village where hunting generated the highest yields of meat ever reported in Amazonia. And Vickers notes that these yields could not be expected to continue for long. Although individual hunters varied from an average of 13 kilograms of meat per hunt to an average of 46 kilograms per hunt, an analysis of variance could not reject the null hypothesis that these differences in hunting success resulted from sampling error. A second statistic attributed 11% of the variance to differences in male hunting abilities. But, infor but informants did not report this, that extramarital sex was obtained with meat. Siona Sequoia men hunt so that their families will eat well. Quote, for them, meat is meat, not sex. Unquote. Vickers concludes that his data do not disprove the observations of other investigators that meat is exchanged for sex, but do show that the practice is not universal. In considering Vickers's conclusion that there is little difference among men in hunting abilities, the following may be relevant. 1. The most successful hunter averaged more than three times as much meat per hunt as the least successful hunter did. That analysis of variance could not reject the null hypothesis, may simply reflect the sample size, since short-term, lucky variation in hunting success is substantial. Hames personal communication. For a human to be a successful hunter requires Vickers does not report the amount of time breach hunts lasted, but in an area unusually rich in game. Men may hunt until they kill something, thus tending to reduce variability in yield per hunt. Vickers reports no unsuccessful hunts. Two, even if only 11 percent of the variance can be attributed to individual differences in hunting skills. In evolutionary perspective, 11% is a major difference. And in any competitive activity does small. Perspective, 11% is a major difference. And in any competitive activity, small differences can be crucial. One would like to know whether differences among men were apparent to the Siona Sequoia them themselves in considering exchanges of meat for sex.
One would like to know whether differences among men were apparent to Siona Sequoia themselves. Three, in considering exchanges of meat for sex or anything else, the most important statistic is the amount of meat a man has to exchange, not his average yield per hunt. Hames Personal Communication. Raymond Hames, hence the total yields per man that he reports cannot be evaluated, nor does he discuss polygyny. Raymond Haynes, N.D., has kindly allowed me to cite data which bear on these issues. From his 16-month study of Yi Kwanwa village and a neighboring Yanomamo village in Venezuela, Hames weighed all kills made by all hunters in the two villages for 215 days, 100% sample. Hunting success varied among the men from an average of 0.45 kg per hour to an average of 7.2 kg per hour. The total yields for individual men during this period ranged from 22.5 kg to 1,004.9 kg which in large part reflects enormous differences in the frequencies with which the men hunted. Informants agreed closely with one another in their estimates of the hunting prowess of individual men, and these assessments were generally in agreement with Hames's own quantitative record. With respect to the relation between hunting and sex, the following anecdote may be of interest. A young Yanomamo couple with one child who had lived in a Yekwana household for one and a half years were asked to leave by the head of the household because the 18-year-old husband was a poor hunter and did not contribute enough meat. As in the Siriono case discussed above, this boy attempted to enhance his economic value by working hard at gardening, canoe making, fishing, and various household tasks. But in the eyes of the head of the household, these efforts could not compensate for the boy's failure to bring in meat. A 20-year-old unmarried male, Yanomamo, an excellent young hunter, told Hames that he was going to take the boy's wife away from him. He said he's not even...
man. He's not even a man, referring to his lack of hunting prowess. Not his age. She will leave him and come to me because he can't hunt, and I can. Unquote. The best hunter in the villages was the only man to have two wives, a second man, who had had two wives, but who had been persuaded by a missionary to give one to his brother, was regarded as having been a great hunter in his prime. Conclusions: The evidence suggests that in hunting, as in fighting, human males are effectively in competition for females, and that often there are substantial differences among males in competitive abilities. For an evolutionary perspective, the fundamental issue is not the relative. Contributions vegetables and meat make in the diets of hunter-gatherer peoples, evolution results from individual differences. Skill plays a far greater role in hunting than in gathering, and skill plays an important role in fighting as well. Sex differences in the significance of skill for reproductive success. Are apparent in children's play. Among hunter-gatherer peoples, boys spend an enormous amount of time playing at hunting and fighting, and thereby perfect skills in these activities. But because women's activities typically require less skill than men's activities do, they do not need as much prior play. And most ethnographers report that boys play more than girls do. In this respect, humans are typical primates. Girls can begin to make significant economic contribution much earlier in life than boys can. So while boys play at hunting and fighting, girls assist their mothers in gathering, infant care, and other domestic tasks. Available evidence suggests that men vary much more in hunting abilities than women do in gathering abilities. Hence, as with violence, selection acts far more intensely among males than among females. Thus, as with most animal spe- species, quote, at every moment in its game of life. The masculine sex is playing for higher stakes. Unquote. Mead, in 1967, writes, "The small girl learns that she is a female, and that if she simply waits, she will someday be a mother. The small boy learns that he is a male, and that if he is successful in manly deeds, someday he will be a man." He has to face the need to grow, that to learn, to master a great variety of skills and strengths, 
before he can compete with grown males. Growing up may be phrased in terms of physical growth or taking ahead or having collected enough property to purchase a wife. But almost always the attainment of the full rights of a male to the favors of women becomes conditional on his learning to act in specified ways, some of which will seem difficult. He is taught sometimes explicitly, sometimes implicitly, that there is a long, long road between the lusty exhibitionistic self-confidence of the five-year-old and the man who can win and keep a woman in a world filled with other men. But the little girl meets no such challenge. The taboos and the etiquette enjoined upon her are ways of protecting her already budding femininity from adult males. Upon the initial uncertainty of her final maternal role is built a rising curve of sureness, which is finally crowned in primitive and simple societies in which every woman marries with childbearing. The evidence suggests then that for millions of years, Hominid males and females pursued substantially different reproductive strategies and typically exhibited very different behaviors. Throughout most of human evolutionary history, hunting, fighting, and that elusive activity politics were highly competitive, largely male domains. It is not a simple question of high female parental investment and male competition for females. Males and females invested in different ways. Not only did males hunt while females gathered, but its warfare was often over land and other scarce resources from which the winning males' offspring benefited. Male fighting was in part parental investment. That is, like hunting and gathering, fighting and nurturing were part of the human division of labor by sex. Far more than in any other human animal species, natural, sexual, and artificial selection were intertwined and perhaps inseparable during the course of human evolution. Does the Nambikuara chief who is given extra wives by his group in exchange for his leadership, partly in hunting and warfare, provide evidence about natural, sexual, or artificial selection? Even accepting Washburn's assessment that human males possess roughly twice the fighting anatomy that females possess, the degree of sexual dimorphism in modern human populations seems intuitively to be rather small relative to that of many animal species, especially considering that human males and females differed in patterns of parental investment 
as well as in the intensity of intrasexual competition. Given the nature of male investment, one might expect that increasing male parental investment in the hominid lineage would have increased rather than decreased sexual dimorphism. In fact, human male parental investment undoubtedly exceeds male chimpanzee investment. And humans are more sexually dimorphic than chimpanzees in body size. One interpretation of the apparently slight extent of human sexual dimorphism is simply that I have overestimated the disparity between male and female variability in reproductive success and or the differences between typical male and female activities. Another possibility is that selection for efficiency in bearing and in caring for infants favored large females, and thus sex differences in body size substantially underestimate the intensity of male reproductive competition during the course of human evolutionary history. But there are at least two other interpretations. One, some selection pressures on males may not have resulted in the evolution of physical sex differences. Human patterns of hunting and fighting are uniquely in the complexity of social cooperation they entail, in the degree to which these complexities must be learned and in their dependence in tool traditions. In most animal species, intrasexual competition or sex differences in foraging patterns result in selection for characteristics whose utility is largely specific to intrasexual competition or to a particular foraging pattern. And hence, in the evolution of physical sex differences, but many of the abilities that selection favored in human hunting, fighting, and politics may be adaptive for typical female activities as well, even though it is rarely adaptive for females to incur the risks of hunting or intrasexual competition. Every individual has both a male and a female parent, and many of the effects of intrasexual competition and hunting among males may have been manifested equally in male and female offspring. Number two, some effects of intrasexual selection among males may be invisible. For example, the selective 
pressures of hunting may, in some respects, have countered the selective pressures of fighting. Washburn and Lancaster, 1968, suggest that the very narrow range of stature seen in the fossil record of Pleistocene humans reflects the demands of hunting. If so, this may limit the sex differences in body size that would have resulted from male fighting alone. But perhaps more important, the unique nature of human-male competition may have promoted sex differences not in the size of anatomical structures but in the brain which with present techniques of analysis are invisible. For example, all non-human primate species with large sex difference in body size also exhibit favor favorable. For example, all non-human primate species with large sex differences in body size also exhibit major male-to-female differences in the size of the canine teeth. The absence of this sex difference among humans does not indicate that ancestral human If men who have been differently reproductively successful throughout human evolutionary history owed their success more to their brains. The non-human animal perspective, which suggests that the intensity of intersexual competition will be reflected in the magnitude of sex differences in body size and natural weapons. It's likely to be misleading when applied to humans with respect to sexuality. Sexual behaviors and disposition I shall judge that in some way I shall argue that in some way selection With respect to sexual behaviors in this page, I shall argue that in some ways selection acted oppositely on human males and females, and that these differing selective pressures are evidenced in sex differences in the brain, 
and are reflected in behavior and psyche, but not so much in easily observed and measured anatomy.